0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM coach, and this week on episode 63, we're going to dive right into something that I read and I feel very, very strongly about. What I'm first going to do is going to read you the paragraphs that I read. Then I'm going to talk about what they mean, and then we're going to analyze it a little bit deeper. I hope you enjoy this format. Let me know if you don't. Here we go. Patience. It is far too soon to expect improvements. Improvements for movements like this take a minimum of six weeks. Any perceived improvements prior to that are simply the result of improved synaptic facilitation. In plain English, the central nervous system simply became more efficient at that particular movement, whether that's, in our case, pedaling, running, pulling and swimming, etc., with practice. This is, however, not to be confused with actual fitness gains. Dealing with the temporary frustration of not making progress is an integral part of the path towards excellence. In fact, it is essential and something that every single elite athlete has had to learn and to deal with. If pursuit of excellence was easy, everyone would do it. In fact, this impatience in dealing with frustration is the primary reason that most people fail to achieve their goals. Unreasonable expectations time-wise resulting in unnecessary frustration due to a perceived feeling of failure. Achieving the extraordinary is not a linear process. The secret is to show up, do the work, And go home. A blue collar work ethic married to indomitable will. It is literally that simple nothing interferes, nothing can sway you from your purpose. Once the decision is made, simply refuse to budge, refuse to compromise, and accept that quality long term results require quality long term focus. No emotion, no drama, no beating yourself up over small bumps in the road. Learn to enjoy and appreciate the process. This is simply, this is especially important because you are going to spend far more time on the actual journey than with those all too brief moments of triumph at the end. Certain, certainly celebrate the moments of triumph when they occur. More importantly, learn from defeats when they happen. In fact, if you are not encountering defeat on a fairly regular basis, you are not trying hard enough. And absolutely refuse to accept less than your best. Throw out a timeline. It will take what it takes. If commitment is to a long-term goal, and not to a series of smaller intermediate goals, then only one decision needs to be made and adhered to. Clear, simple, straightforward. Much easier to maintain than having to make small decision after small decision to stay the course when dealing with each step along the way. This provides far too many opportunities to inadvertently drift from your chosen goal. The single decision is one of the most powerful tools in the toolbox. This was written by Coach Summer, the U.S. the former U.S. national team gymnastics coach. I came across this in a book I'm reading, and it is a fascinating description of training. And I'm going to break it down again after i just read it. But I want to talk about this. I would say five paragraphs, because it basically captures everything we talk about in so many different ways on this podcast. And this discussion arises around these paragraphs, because we all get frustrated in our training. But of course, as you all know from this podcast, the Z2 aerobic foundation work is where we get most frustrated because it's the slowest to show progress, to show results, to show improvement, and it's so unfamiliar to us. When we see little or no pra- progress after several weeks of training or practicing something, it becomes frustrating. And we get discouraged that we see zero zero tangible progress, right? We're all so familiar with putting work in and getting pretty much immediate results these days. And that's why these paragraphs hit that point so perfectly on the emails I receive every day, every week, and discussions I get into with athletes and non-athletes and people all around me all the time on why Z2 is possibly working when I am walking for hours. When I am riding so easy, I have centurions passing me on their bike. When I am swimming so slow that I have people who I beat and usually lap, um, meaning that you catch them in a 25 yard pool, um, swimming equal with me. It's frustrating, it's humbling, it's discouraging. And so that's why these paragraphs are so fitting and why I want to break them down properly. So let's dive right in. Patience. It is far too soon to expect improvements. Improvements for a movement like this take a minimum of six weeks. As I've talked about on this podcast, and we've talked about it a lot with regards to zone two, it takes a good thousand miles on the bike at zone two, 250 to 400 miles of running at zone two to really start seeing the gains in fitness, in capillaries and so forth, expansion of blood plasma. The things that I've sent out on articles and tweets with regards to the New York Times, with regards to Trail Runner magazine, it's all out there. And it's not new knowledge. It's just that it's such a hard process to go through the zone two aerobic work that most will skip it and therefore the willingness to embrace it and the universal acceptance of it is way harder because it requires such patience so it's far too soon to expect improvements that's because as we're saying here in plain english The central nervous system simply became more efficient at that particular movement with practice. That's what we've talked about many times here. It's just becoming more efficient, neuromuscularly firing in the movement. The movement is becoming smoother and more efficient. That doesn't mean you're fitter. We've all experienced this plenty of times, whether on the bike or running or in the pool or any activity we're doing, rowing. any type of physical movement or activity you do it for a few weeks it becomes smoother easier to do and again that doesn't mean you're fitter it just become means you're more efficient at the movement improved synaptic facilitation that's a perception it's how our brain works it wants to get efficient in everything in that in that it does talked about that too on this podcast with regards to homeostasis. It tries to find the most efficient way to do everything because it conserves energy like that, the brain and the body. It's vital for us. Not to be confused with actual fitness gains. I love that. It shows us that six to eight weeks is the minimum before we start seeing an inkling of zone to true fitness gains what i've talked about with the capillaries in the la freeway system with creating a foundation with the ability to deliver oxygen to the working muscles and so forth now the interesting thing is here coach sommer talks about it from a u.s gymnastics standpoint and a strength standpoint but we see the same thing physiologically in so many functions within our body And it can be applied in so many different ways. But this is where the work comes in and what I talk about with regards to the work. It requires patience and it requires us to do things despite not seeing immediate gains and effects. And and that is hard. Everything we do in our current society, in our current culture is cause and effect if we do something on the computer or on our smart smartphone, there is an immediate response. And if it's too slow, we complain. You know, so many other things during our day. If we is cause and effect, we take an action and there is a reaction. There's an outcome and we feel good about having done that outcome. It's why we have checklists. It's why we have to-do lists. Those all feel good because when we do our to-do list or our checklist, it feels good to accomplish something. It is a very strong psychological process in our brain to complete tasks. Again, task orientation. There's a whole podcast waiting on some type, some type of topic like that. But back to this. Dealing with the temporary frustration of not making progress is an integral part of the path towards excellence. The temporary frustration of not making progress. That's what we talk about. It's what I get emails about. It's why we all struggle with zone two. And it's an integral part of the path towards excellence. In fact, it is essential and something that every single elite athlete has had to learn to deal with. Is Our training, our progression is not a linear process. Nothing in athletics is points to where you can say, if I do these 10 workouts, I will get X outcome. It doesn't work like that. Everybody adapts differently. Everybody... Um, recovers differently everybody um, there's just too many factors that go into it now throw in that we're all of us most likely listening are masters athletes which means we have families we have a job we have other commitments we went pro in something other than sports like I like to say and so therefore we are already not on this linear path that we're able to solely focus on the training and our recovery. We have other things in our day. So that path is for sure not linear, because there's so many factors going into the equation now that make the linear impossible. And then throw in that the adaptations are different for everybody, how much recovery, how much stimulus each person needs. It is essential and something that every single elite athlete has had to learn to deal with. That you gotta put in the work, the time, and there will be many, 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 many days and weeks where you see nothing, where you see no progress. And often you feel yourself going backwards because you're getting fatigued. If the pursuit of excellence was easy, everyone would do it. Well, we've all heard that before. If it was easy, everyone would do it. But the key here, the pursuit of excellence, and that is the the, the very important component of this whole part is in order to be our best self, in order to really live up to those high standards we are trying to set for ourselves, we are trying to improve for ourselves, that pursuit of our own excellence, right? Because pursuit of excellence is is relative. It's your own progression. It's your own belief in your own gradual improvement in the process, the progression of the daily grind. If that was easy, everyone would do it. Why is there such a huge community of Um, therapy and self help and self growth, because it's not easy. It's very hard. And so in this athletic endeavor that we're in, trying to be our best self is hard. And it takes daily work. But the beauty is you all have such an amazing privilege to be healthy enough to do this like that. And the Bigger privilege is to be able to carve out this time daily, multi-times a day in many cases, on the longer days, on the weekends, to focus on yourself, to work on yourself and your fitness, to work on your progression and your growth to your best self. And that is amazing. Many people, A, don't have the discipline to carve out that time for themselves. They're always, quote, air quotes here, too busy. Well, I call it not prioritizing. And B, when they are in that time, they are not embracing it. They are not going inwards and focusing on the process, the here and now, on today, on doing the work today, but also connecting with our raw physical self on a daily basis. It's hard. And many of us don't appreciate how beautiful that process is and therefore embrace that process. The pursuit of excellence of your own personal athletic excellence is awesome. And you have this opportunity as a master's athlete working, right? Um, Athlete to re-engage with something that you might've done when you were younger, if you were an athlete, or are doing for the first time and learning how wonderful and stimulating and growing it is. If the pursuit of excellence was easy, everyone would do it. We would all be Uber people, right? But you're on this path with ultra endurance training, listening to me, curious as to where you can go, reaching your potential. Because you are curious and you want to find out what that pursuit of excellence is and and your best self. And what I talk about a lot on this podcast and what I will talk about later on this podcast is, is that the work is the hard part. Anybody can read this and get fired up. Anybody can sign up for a race and get fired up. Anybody can watch motivational and cool videos on YouTube and get fired up. Anybody can listen to this and get fired up, but you still got to do the work, and that's the hard part, the pursuit of excellence. Now, there's a lot of definitions in that pursuit of excellence where you could say, well, it's the details in that pursuit of excellence. Can we go through the motions and get better? Yes, but excellence is achieved by the attention to the details, by executing to our best ability on a daily basis, and that progression. Of course, we can go into the minutia of that. That makes total sense. But for now, the pursuit of excellence of what we're talking about here is that showing up daily, connecting with our best self, and having a curiosity to find out what that is. And that's not easy. In fact, this impatience in dealing with frustration is the primary reason that most people fail to achieve their goals. I mean, <clears throat> beautiful, beautiful. And that's why, I mean, you guys can imagine why I highlighted the crap out of this book and this paragraph and these this section. In fact, this impatience in dealing with the frustration, right, is the primary reason that most people fail to achieve their goals. I don't think I need to even say more there. That frustration, that impatience of not seeing progress is why people give up on their goals. But also keep in mind that frustration, right, of not seeing the progress is a bigger issue in many cases because you're focused on the outcome, not on the process. And understanding that this will require patience, that this is not linear, that this will take weeks and months to build, and that you will see no progress, just even understanding that makes it way more likely that you will progress out of this phase to where you really do see the progress. And then momentum and tailwinds start carrying you towards your goal way quicker. Right? It's this slow foundation building process where you don't see much of a house and it's frustrating. And then you, know, you drive by that neighborhood and you go, wow, they put up that house quickly. <laughs> but you, you, know, you didn't notice for the weeks prior that it was just a concrete slab and a couple of walls and some basic stuff but boom then it goes quickly the same thing physiologically in our training the aerobic base building zone two phase is slow and grinding and unresponsive and boring and demotivating and discouraging and you know all the things I've talked about And once we get through it, you start seeing the light. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. I have an athlete that I talked to about the other day. Now we've changed her training because it's very difficult. It's been very difficult for her to get through the zone two phase because she trained incorrectly for a a variety of months and she basically destroyed her zone two engine. And so I built in weekly and bi monthly markers so that she can validate her training. And we've talked about this before on the podcast where where I would want you to, at the same low heart rate zone two, or upper zone two, go to the track or some sort of measured outcome on the bike or some sort of measured outcome on the swim or whatever athletic event you can do, because you can measure it no matter what. There's always a measurement opportunity at that low heart rate, and you gradually watch yourself getting faster, stronger, better, while at that low heart rate. And that gives you sort of that direct feedback of wow, it's starting to work. And she's probably a good four weeks into that type of rotation and things are really starting to happen. And now of course, she has those tailwinds. Now she's like, oh my god, I totally see it. I love it. I get it. Why did I ever wonder about this? Well, yeah, I know. duh, But it's hard. And she's only nine weeks in, I think she told me. But look at it. We just talked about it six weeks before, and then things happen as of six to seven to eight weeks. And she, trust me, those first few uh, tests, or tests, um, validation workouts, I should call them, she saw nothing. She's like, oh my God, if this is where it's going to be, this is going to be awful. (laughs) And I just said, wait, it'll be fine. But that's the key. And what I'm trying to work on with so many athletes, and she is somebody who I've been working with for two, three years now, and we've grown into a great coaching relationship because she shows me she does the work. She has a very Um, deep interest in doing well and improving and progressing. And we've worked closely together, which has grown the coach-athlete relationship, which makes her coaching even better. So we're in a pretty good space. And of course we get frustrated. Like in any relationship, there's times where she gets frustrated with me and she sort of blows me off and actually wants to quit the coaching. And then we go back, blah, blah, blah. blah. But, But it's quite normal between human beings. But anyway, back to this. The point here is, in fact, this impatience in dealing with frustration is the primary reason that most people fail to achieve their goals. You cannot let the impatience take you away from the process and the path that you're on towards your goals. There's two rails on a railroad track, right? And you have some leeway on that railroad track but continue to stay on the tracks and move towards your goals. No matter how slow it is, no matter how frustrating it is, one step in front of the other, gradually progressing. And believe in the process. There's other things like we talked about with regards to zone two, to not... Let the frustration of not improving in pace or power or speed get to you, but instead think of all the other things you're gaining right there. And one of those things that you're gaining right there is mental strength. If you have the ability to get through this frustrating period, right, and still kick out and start achieving your goals this frustration just makes you mentally stronger if you can get through a solid zone two phase where you see such little progress you'll be better prepared for it next season next time and you'll have the aha moment you'll be more patient and you will achieve higher goals because you know it works and you'll invest yourself that's why I send out the articles it works but you all need to feel it yourself. It's hard, trust me, I know. I've been dealing with it and those questions for years. Back to the chapter. Unreasonable expectations time-wise resulting in unnecessary frustration due to a perceived feeling of failure. Oh, that's a lot. Unreasonable expectations time-wise what is meant there is we think that progress will happen quicker. We think that because of the work we put in, there's a cause and effect and it will quickly display itself, unreasonable expectations time-wise, resulting in unnecessary frustration. Well, that's why I'm talking to you about it, because it's unnecessary, the frustration. is because we're impatient. But if I can help you get through that and keep you connected to it so that there's an outcome down the road that you then get that momentum and tailwinds, that's what I'm trying to help you all with. Daily frustration, daily emails, daily texts, daily tweets of people going, I sure hope this works. (laughs) Resulting in unnecessary frustration due to a feeling of failure. Just because we're not improving, we have a feeling of failure. It's just our culture and how we're wired. But that doesn't mean it's failure. And that's why I was just saying earlier, there's so much in that process that you can be improving and getting better on mentally, technique-wise, logistics-wise, time-wise, prioritization-wise, preparing your days for the training-wise, All those little things to make that zone two workout while boring, still effective that you're learning a ton and knowing you're putting in the work because it's not easy, right? We said that earlier. The pursuit of excellence is not easy. Achieving, this is back to the paragraph, achieving the extraordinary is not a linear process. There it is again. Achieving the extraordinary is not a linear process. And those of you that can deal with that will have a much higher likelihood of understanding and seeing through your goals and achieving things that you never thought was possible. Because just just like it's not a linear process, doesn't mean it can't be an exponential process. Once you kick through the flat phase, maybe that curve kicks straight up. And that momentum and tailwind that you've created by absorbing a great zone two foundation kicks you to a whole new net level that you never thought was a reality. And that is also the fun. But you gotta put in the work. Back to the paragraph. Here it is. The secret is to show up, do the work, and go home. I mean... That's it. That's the secret. The secret is to show up, do the work, and go home. Present. Being fully immersed in what you're doing and then shutting it down. It takes a lot of will, a lot of mental strength, a lot of discipline, a lot of um, commitment and perseverance to do that. Show up, Do the work and go home because doing the work, your brain is fully on, is fully connecting with your inner self, with your external self, with your surroundings, with your abilities as a physical specimen doing training. And I say physical specimen because when you look at it, if you take your mind off your shoulders, your brain off your shoulder, the beauty of your motions and what you're doing is Phenomenal. We are creatures that are able to put forth this type of regimented training. What other creatures on this planet train, have a regimented training process? Appreciate that. Show up, do the work, and go home. That means go home, shut it down. Now that you've done such great work, that you've focused on your best self, Relax. Recover. Shut it down. Remember, what we've said on this podcast and many times before, and you're going to hear a lot more from me on this podcast, is that the training is not what makes you better. All the work, do the work right here, it says do the work, is not what's going to make you stronger, fitter, better. Nor is all the zone 2 work making you stronger, fitter, or better. It's work plus the recovery, plus the sleep. You have to absorb the stimulus in order for it to work, not just do the work. So that's go home. Show up, do the work, and go home. Back to the paragraph. A blue-collar work ethic married to indomitable will. Blue-collar work ethic. Married to indomitable will. Simple. Show up, do the work, go home. And the ability to show up is the will, right? That's your focus. And we've talked about this before. Sometimes willpower will wane. And in those cases, we want to have systems and processes in place so that it makes it easier for us to execute the blue-collar work ethic we're talking about. Have your workout stuff in the car with you so that on the way home, you automatically have no excuse not to get in your workout. Drive past the gym as part of your workout routine. Wake up early, get it done. Have that pressure of the workout done for the day. You always feel better after, things like that. Set up systems and processes that overcome, that don't have you relying on willpower all the time checklists at night, put your stuff by the door, lean your bike up against your car in the garage, Um, put your running shoes in the driver's seat before you drive to work. Just to remind you, have a sticker on your mirror the night before what you will achieve tomorrow in training. All those things, the checklists I've talked about. Put systems in place in order to not just always rely on willpower. But it helps make that indomitable will. A blue-collar work ethic married to an indomitable will. It is literally that simple. Nothing interferes. Nothing can sway you from your purpose. Once the decision is made, simply refuse to budge, refuse to compromise. That's it. You decided to set a goal. That was the decision. The big picture decision, the long term decision. And the daily decision is to do the work. Is to show up, do the work, and go home. It's that simple. It's a it's a very simple sentence. I will do the work. I showed up, did the work, I went home. Checkbox done. <laughs> easier said than done, as we all know. Nothing interferes. Nothing can sway you from your purpose. Once the decision is made to show up and do the work, simply refuse to budge. Refuse to compromise. It is what it is. That's cliche of a saying, it is what it is. But that's, I've talked about this before here too. And that is because I said I would. I signed up for this event. I said I was going to train and my best self, my pursuit of excellence daily is that I will do, I will follow through on what I said I would do. Now, we can help that with systems in place by saying what we're going to do the night before and therefore in the next day, follow through on that. It's that simple. Just keep it that simple. I will do what I said I would do. I said I would train today. Boom. I'm going to focus on that. I said I'm doing this event and therefore I am on the journey, on the progression towards doing that event because I said I would. It's that simple. And accept that quality long-term results require quality long-term focus. Gosh, these paragraphs are wonderful. And accept that quality long-term results, most of us, in the ultra-endurance world, are looking for long-term results. Down the road, having a result at an Ironman, at a 100-miler, at an Ultraman, at a multi-day expedition, at a multi-day, multi-week cycling event, transcontinental, things like that, that we're all getting, not all of us getting, but that some of you are getting ready for. Some of the crazy adventures that we're all embarking upon are long-term results that we're looking for. But they will require quality, long-term focus. Onto the paragraph, no emotion, no drama, no beating yourself up over small bumps in the road. Learn to enjoy and appreciate the process. There it is. This is especially important because you are going to spend far more time on the actual journey than with all those two brief moments of triumph at the end. The journey, the progress, the progression is where we spend our time. You spend 9, 10, 18, 24 months training for something. I have people right now getting ready for their 2019 um, multi-day stage races and rebuilding their body from past experiences where their body's broken down. I've had athletes getting ready for Cape Epic and Ultraman two years down the road. These are brutal events, not just Ultraman, but Cape Epic wanting to be uh, competitive in an elite, elite mountain bike race in Africa like that that is always extremely difficult and always extremely fast and pulls in the world's best cyclists. that's some serious long-term training and focus in order to get ready for that. Learn to enjoy and appreciate the process. It's what I was saying before with regards to our best self. Enjoy it. It's your space, your time your sacrifice every day it's what you prioritize yourself for and afterwards you always feel much better much clearer much more at peace with yourself and your daily activities and you're more focused and you're more patient and you're more tolerant with the co-workers and your family and your kids you have a different perspective because you are fully immersed in the process and because and if you learn to enjoy and appreciate that daily process, that daily time you spend with yourself in order to be your best self, in order to for that pursuit of excellence, in order to connect with your inner true self and true self, not from a deep psychological meaning, but true self with regards to what I was saying, what kind of an amazing species and creature we are that we do daily exercise and physical activity at our core which is part of our our deepest DNA that's why it makes us feel so good that's why it has that dopamine release that's why it has all those down um, river functions that make us feel better and operate better because it's such a part of us physical daily activity and especially endurance activity now, I'm not big on the Born to Run because a lot of that's novel, but a lot of that also highlights how physical daily activity is part of our DNA, going steady for a longer period of time. Not explosive power. It's not our strength like we talked, like he talked about, Chris McDougall talks about in Born to Run, but going steady for longer periods of time. Endurance, and even more so ultra-endurance, That's what we're wired for. We have the ability to feed and hydrate while we're moving over large terrain and it brings out our best physical genetic self from adrenal function, hormonal function, physical function, health function, brain function, all that that you all experience even with a 45-minute or 60-minute workout daily. You all know what it feels like after. Enjoy that appreciate that look forward to it which I know many of you do this is not the issue learn to enjoy and appreciate the process this is especially important because you're going to spend far more time on the actual journey than with all those two brief moments of triumph at the end you cross that finish line you achieve that goal you finish your adventure and while it was invigorating and it was exciting and don't get me wrong i love competition i'm a competitive person so being out there and competing against other as others in racing i'm sort of that that plays a bigger role to me than a lot of the journey You know, it's not as unweighted that it's 80%, 20% journey versus racing. I I like to put up the racing because I do think of the outcome a lot while I'm training. And don't get me wrong, I love the training. I've been doing this for too long to not love the training. But I am definitely the type who envisions myself in the race and competing and overcoming really difficult moments or having to find a digger at bigger, deeper self with regards to um, going beyond what I'm capable of or I thought I was capable of or the suffering that's going to happen in order to move myself to the front of the field, etc. That part I do like. But that doesn't change the fact that the majority of our time we are in our heads and training for that event. And that zone two process, we are mostly in our heads because we're not feeling the speed or the watts or the result or those outcomes, right? Zone two is in our heads. We're in our heads. And that's like I was saying, where you want to enjoy and appreciate the process and understand what's going on around you. Back to the paragraph, the, the fifth paragraph now, or sixth paragraph. Certainly celebrate the moments of triumph when they occur. That could be a good workout. That could be a good week. That could be a good test race. That could be a good A-race. A good A-race in the ultra-endurance world just propels you to start anew, to take it to a new level, to your new potential. More importantly, learn from defeats when they happen. Here we go. This is an important piece, in my opinion. In fact, if you are not encountering defeat on a fairly regular basis, you are not trying hard enough. I love it. Defeat, as we're going through the zone two process, is that daily grind. Is that def- We feel defeated. Right? We are not making the progress that we are so familiar with making when we put in the work and see a linear result or a um, cause and effect. We feel defeated. But because we feel defeated, because it's difficult, we know we are doing something that others don't have the patience or the resilience or the long term focus to do. And therefore, we are only getting stronger. We're narrowing down the field to the people and the abilities that we have in order to persevere through this. Then down the road, of course, as we're training for our event and getting more specific and the intensity goes up, zone four work and threshold work and VO2 max work that I've talked about in the last podcast, then we should feel defeated. We should face defeat that it was too hard. I could only do six of the eight repeats. I blew up, you're not trying hard enough. And that's again, where we increase the mental strength on all this. It all ties together, all this is a big circle and we can take any phase of training and apply all these concepts to it. That's the beauty of athletic training. In fact, if you're not encountering defeat on a fairly regular basis, you are not trying hard enough. And absolutely refuse to accept less than your best. Pursuit of excellence, best self, and using daily, weekly defeat to make us stronger. What is the saying? Pressure breeds diamonds. If you are not putting yourself under daily pressure, the best self, your pursuit of excellence, your less than your best will be the outcome. Your pursuit of excellence and your best self will not be there because you are not putting yourself under enough stress pressure whether that's mentally or physically, for your outcome. And so many of you might confuse that. Well, how does that work during zone two? Well, because there we're working on our best self mentally. Technique, posture, form, connecting inwards, visualization. All those things are happening when we're not asking ourselves to asking our body to work extra hard from a physical heart rate standpoint, but there's plenty in there that we can put pressure on ourselves for, to do it better, cleaner, smarter, with regards to recovery and sleep, form and technique, And then of course, the daily visualization. If you are doing it uh, on a long run and you have to walk, you surely can be visualizing all the things that you wanna get done in the race with regards to how you will go about that course, how you will eat, how you will drink. There's so much you can mentally work on and connect with in your body while you're still going easier and your food plan and your strategy. All that, a daily opportunity to check in with yourself physically and mentally. And absolutely refuse to accept less than your best. <clears throat> it's, it's what I've talked about a lot and I've talked about today and I talk about in the future on this podcast a lot. Was I my best self today? Right? What makes an athlete? We've talked about that. An athlete is a mindset It's not your talent, it's not your time, it's not your ability. You're an athlete if you apply yourself and looking for your best self. If you're an athlete, if you absolutely refuse to accept less than your best, that's a description of an athlete. They prepare, they train thoughtfully, they recover, they show up, do the work and go home. Show up prepared, of course, do the work properly, execute the outcome properly, of course, Do and go home, which means sleep and recovery and self-care. But that's it. Show up, do the work, and go home. Refuse to accept less than your best in your ability to do that. Now, there's days where you're not going to be your best self compared to other selves because life... Schedule, family, work, commitments, stress, and other things get in the way. But your best self for today, were you your best? Did I put forth my best effort today, given today? Of course, there's a qualifier in there because not every day is going to line up the same. And now one of my favorite sentences in this entire piece, and I've used this before. With many of my athletes, not quite in this good wording, but throw out a timeline. It will take what it takes. I'll just leave it at that. That applies to every single one of us, whether you're an Olympic athlete, you're a pro athlete, you're just starting out. Throw out a timeline. It will take it takes and there's a reason the sentence is this late in it because if you are applying all the concepts that we've talked about so far in these paragraphs that makes sense throw out a timeline it will take what it takes because you're doing all the things in here final paragraph if the commitment is to a long-term goal and not to a series of smaller intermediate goals then only one decision needs to be made and adhered to. Clear, simple, straightforward. Much easier to maintain than having to make small decision after decision to stay the course when dealing with each step along the way. This provides far too many opportunities to inadvertently drift from your chosen goal. The single decision is one of the most powerful tools in the toolbox. What is that single decision? Show up, do the work, and go home. The single decision is the patience. The single decision is, of course I will do it. That's what I said I would do. The single decision is being your best self for today. If the commitment is to a long-term goal, whether that's the Olympics, whether that's completing an Ironman, whether that's doing a marathon, they're all long-term goals. And not to a series of smaller intermediate goals, then only one decision needs to be made and adhered to. That single decision. Clear, simple, straightforward. Show up, do the work, go home. Much easier to maintain than having to make small decision after small decision to stay the course when dealing with each step along the way. This provides too many opportunities to inadvertently drift from your chosen goal. One single clear goal that's out there. And then we work on the process to achieve that goal. And we work on the work to achieve that goal. And that's the hardest part, showing up and doing the work. That's the single decision, that daily grind, that daily work. My coaching isn't for everybody. And nor should any coaching program be for everybody. It should work for a category or a type of people. And my coaching is definitely not an easy type of coaching. As many know, I'm not one to hold hands and, you know, cheer you along. I have very, very high standards. And because I have those high standards, I expect you to do the work. And once you're doing the work, then the dialogue changes and the dialogue grows and the dialogue becomes more interactive, and the dialogue becomes truly what many envision is a coaching relationship. But first, and again, this is my coaching approach. Many others don't coach like this. Many others coach differently. But my coaching approach, I need to see the work being done first. I need to see you training and willing to commit and willing to dive in and willing to work on this day in and day out. And then more and more tidbits and more and more information and the picture starts painting itself for me of what kind of athlete you are and what kind of coaching you need. You might be the athlete that does all the work, that knows all the things to know already in order to be very successful at ultra endurance, racing, events, adventures, and so forth. And so then my coaching becomes more that um, tidbit of information here, that tidbit of information there as guidance to steer you and support you in your journey towards your goals right? Maybe being a co-pilot, you're driving the car, but I'm sitting in the passenger seat providing insight of saying, you know, have you thought about doing it like this? Have you tried hydrating like this? Have you thought about including more intensity like this? In some cases, that is my coaching. In other cases, yes, the work is being done or the athlete is trying really hard to do the work. And their hours might only be six or 10 hours a week in total, or only one hour a day in training, but they're doing the work. They're doing what they committed to. They're doing what they communicated to me they can do this week, and they're executing the plan as I wrote it. And that's not a question of my way or the highway. They are working with me and making a commitment and then going out and doing it. And those six hours, those eight hours a week, I will work with. That's great. That is what you have. And you're squeezing out your best out of that. And you can be just as successful in your definition of success as an athlete with those few hours. But you're doing your best. And we're going to, together, Squeeze out the best and the, help you achieve your goals. You're going to as- align your goals completely differently, knowing that you're only training six to eight hours a week. That's totally fine. And there too, observing on my part what you're getting in, how hard you're working at it, how much you're sacrificing. And then again, guiding you, steering you, suggesting you, supporting you, advocating with you on how to best maximize that six to eight hours a week. I'm not driving. I'm not doing the work. I'm not even setting up your goals. I'm doing none of that. Why? Because that is up to you. I mean, I had a conversation with an athlete a few weeks ago. They wanted me to help collaborate on their goals. Well, I can't do that until we have a history together, until I see how you're racing, until I see how you train, until I see how much you bite off and how much you actually chew, and then how you respond to the training, how deep you stay with the training, how consistent you are, how committed you are, then how you react to the training and the phases, and then racing and then multiple races and so forth, and then I can start, yes, providing insight. You know, I would consider this we seem to see that you don't do this well or you seem to be very strong at this let's focus more on that that's when I can start providing that guidance but no my coaching does not work for everybody and it's not designed to work for everybody and quite honestly with any coach Those coaches should have their own personal style, their own personal way. They exhibit their passion. And that passion and philosophy is different amongst coaches. Sure, do we all have the best interest of the athlete in mind? Yes, But the tools that we have in our toolbox in order to help you achieve your goals and what resonates with you, which then will help you stay focused on those goals and work hard to achieve those goals, that varies by coaches. And I am one of those coaches in general, one of those people that lives and has very, very high standards. That's why I get impatient and frustrated with a lot of athletes that I see have more talent or just are looking for excuses or shortcuts or hacks in order to achieve what so many have worked so hard to achieve and there are no shortcuts. That's why I love ultra endurance coaching. No matter who you are, you could be the world's most talented athlete. You could be the wealthiest athlete in the world, whatever, you still gotta do the work for ultra endurance events you got to do the work there's no way around it and that is awesome i love that and many struggle with that many think that a coach is going to provide them some sort of magic beans in order how to get faster or more endurance or sure we're here to help you avoid some of the pitfalls and the mistakes and waste your time for sure but We're not here to shortcut the work that's necessary. And most of you get that. Most of you get that. But there's still many out there and there's still many of my newer athletes that still think that there is some sort of magic bean here. But you gotta do the work. You guys all know this from this podcast that I keep saying that there is no way around the work. And you'll hear that in the intro and this podcast and what we talked about this week. The grind. And now that you're doing the work and now that I see the time and the commitment and the courage and the perseverance you're putting into it to make it work in order to do the work, the sacrifices you make with regards to how you're organizing your time and how you're prioritizing your time and how you're narrowing down your days in order to prepare best for the workouts as well as balance your family and career and so forth. That to me then opens more and more the dialogue of coaching. Showing me, your coach, that you are really serious about this because I coached, I coach, and I've coached a lot of people, a lot of people over the years, whether in swimming or triathlon or now in the ultra endurance world. And too often, We go down this path of I have big dreams and I have big goals and I want to achieve this. I want to qualify for Kona. I want to make Olympic trials. I want to do this 100-miler. I want to qualify for Western States. I want to get the points for UTMB. I want to be competitive at the front of the field as a pro. I want to be competitive at the front of the field as an age grouper. All those things. And yet when it comes time to do the work, there is a quick drop off. And we all know with regards to sometimes we bite off more than we can chew. And that's where the discussion comes in with regards to our goals and then the work, right? If you have an X goal out there, but you can't do the work, we need to adjust the goals. Now, what I've noticed a lot over the last few years also with athletes is many of them are doing the work and then we need to adjust the goals there's athletes who achieve levels of fitness and with that a foundation of speed and confidence in their endurance endeavors that then we are adjusting their goals they are doing a 70.3 an ironman a 50 mile run a 100 mile run quicker than they thought they would so it goes both ways Work and goals are in a very delicate balance. If your goals are too, um, not unachievable, because I don't like to use that description, but if they're out of sync with the work that you're doing, we need to adjust the goals. If the goals are out of sync with the work that you're doing because you're doing outstanding work, then let's adjust the goals. I mean, it's a beautiful harmony between the two. But that's where the coaching dialogue grows more and more and more. And what I was saying before, after all these years of coaching, is that I definitely have wasted a lot of time with athletes continuing to try to get them to do the work, to show them how important these weeks are, despite still being 20 weeks out to show and highlight how you have to do the work. It's not just going to magically appear or that your improvement will not just um, come because you put in six weeks of hard work um, 10 weeks out of the race because that will net you the same results as last year because then you're going to have the same result. You're going to take some time off. You're not going to make it a priority. And guess what? Then you're going to prioritize a little bit more. Then you're going to have six weeks of good work and boom, same race result. We've talked about that here before. Progression. So the work opens the dialogue with better coaching. And that's not to justify anything. That's just my style. I need to see that this person really is into it, is really looking to commit to ultra endurance training. It's hard. It's a lot of work. And... You know, my demands are high because I live by those standards myself. So many of you that know me or hopefully have seen me race or um, have observed how I've been over many, many years, especially my athletes. No, I do not accept bad training for myself. I have a very high standard of myself with regards to the training and outcomes and results. And while at times I might downplay it with, oh, well, you know, I've been doing this for many years. But yes, I have been doing this for many years, but I still hold myself accountable to very high standards. And that is the culture and the message I want to share and promote and highlight and push forth upon all of you. The higher those standards are for yourself, those will bleed into the rest of your day and the rest of your life, meaning not length of life, but your overall day and day of life and so forth. That's what I mean. But those high standards that you create as an athlete is what you can live all day long, all week long, all month long, etc., Hold yourself in high regard and high esteem for the work that you're doing, the quality of work that you're doing, the thoughtful, present minded work that you're doing, the um, sacrifice that you're making. All that makes you, um, allows you to hold your head higher and be proud of the work that you're doing. But again, all this comes and all the guidance and coaching and fun and input and growth comes once that first domino starts falling. And that first domino, whether your domino strip is 10 pieces long or 10,000 pieces long, that first domino falling is the work. You gotta start stepping in and doing the work. All right, let's close out this podcast with a couple of emails and questions I've received Um, they're starting to pile up and I want to work through a few of them so that we can continue to facilitate this conversation and this dialogue between all of you listening and hopefully me providing some insight answers guidance so that you can continue to execute your workouts to the best of your ability Uh, This is from Martin, Z2 is a very slow and trying, (laughs) Z2 is very slow and trying to maintain 180 steps per minute seems to increase my heart rate. What's your advice on this? Yes, um, getting our foot speed up or our cadence up while we're training on the bike as well is hard because it's gonna quickly uh, elicit a heart rate response. So what I usually recommend is you start with interspersed pieces to do that, let the heart rate drift up a little bit, and then go back to zone two work. So what does that look like? For example, in a run, we're going to be doing a zone two run, and then we're going to do, we're going to start with six times two minutes with higher foot speed, um, you know, 88 to 92 uh, strikes per minute. And two minutes, the heart rate will drift up. It won't stay there long enough to really tax you, um, but you can quickly work on that stimulus and then pull back from it. And then over time, you're gonna increase that time from two to three to five to seven minutes. And when you're doing above five minutes at a time, and the heart rate stays controlled because you've become quite efficient um, at that motion, like we just talked about earlier, with regards to efficiency of motion versus adaptations, Um, then you will find that you're able to pretty much hold it longer on some days and basically start integrating it completely into your running form. But I would start with smaller pieces. The same thing on a bike, higher cadence quickly elicits a higher Heart rate response, right? Because the muscles are firing quicker, and that inefficiency in our motions quickly um, taxes our heart. So, we want to become more efficient in our motions so that it doesn't tax the heart um, constantly. And so, therefore, we need to sprinkle in those inefficient motions, that higher heart rate, uh, that higher cadence work, in order to gradually increase our efficiency at it. Um, on the bike I would say I usually start with 90 seconds of high cadence work and build that up right and go from 90 to eventually you're doing three four five six seven minutes you can do 10 minutes you can alternate with strength in between so many of my athletes know my rotation of two minutes at 50s cadence, 50s to 65 cadence, then three minutes at 90 plus cadence, right? Um, both not long enough to create the proper fatigue, but um, enough to stimulate that uh, firing and that heart rate response. The, the bigger gear work will keep the heart rate lower. Um, the higher cadence will keep the heart rate, kick the heart rate up. But because we're going back into big gear work, heart rate can can recover. We go more muscular. Um, Higher cadence, we go less muscular. We go more cardiovascular. And the, the interplay between those two also has a great fitness effect. So that's my response there. That's how I would recommend getting that balance going. All right, next email. I really enjoy the podcast. My question is about the range of zone two. My Garmin 920 XT measures Z2.1 up to Z2.9 and then into Z3. (laughs) Is there a difference between Z2.1 and Z2.9 or is Z2 just Z2? Well, there's a variety of things in here that I like to bring up. First of all, I don't like the online or the watch set zones. Um, in my opinion, they are um, not as accurate as we would like. And I've always, always advocate that you find a way to get tested for running on a treadmill, lactate threshold test, um, step test that's called, or on the bike, lactate step uh, threshold step test with on a Computrainer or Velodyne at many universities or a lot of cycling shops can guide you in the right spot there. Um, So that's the preferred testing first. Then field testing, I've talked about on this podcast with the five times one mile. Those of you in the metric system, I usually actually go to two kilometers there. So a little bit more than a mile. But then um, again, we keep the one mile uh, or the one minute rest in between you can probably keep it at four times two kilometers with one minute rest and that should be at 90 to 95 percent effort if you're doing that feel free to send me an email with the results of that um those tests and i will gladly help you with your zones and you can compare them you can compare them to your garmin or the training peaks um or the other online type of zone determination please don't use age minus fitness blah 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 junk um all way too vague so to go through that format once again five times one mile at 90 to 95 percent effort i usually call that 10k effort um a little bit slower than 5k effort but 10k effort you're 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 looking to blow up by mile five so that you survive into mile six the last mile of the 10k um take heart rate at the end of each mile or at the end of each 2k segment and um, again heart rate at the beginning of your next repeat and uh document those you can of course document speed um, but I look for speed mainly please send me the seep speed too I'm sorry you should document that but I look for the speed mainly to show if you were went hard enough on all five of them so what that means is if you started the first one at an eight minute mile and then you worked your way over the five down to a 654 well then that first one really isn't very good data because I mean, a minute and six seconds slower or some or more is not, that means you are not going your best effort, 90, 95% effort on the first one. So that heart rate and that time isn't as valid. That's why I use time along with the heart rate. And then we get pretty close to the accurate heart rate zones from that type of field testing. I've done a couple thousands of tests with lactate threshold tests and many hundreds of those field tests on the track and they seem to line up pretty closely but feel free to send me that data chris at aimcoaching.com and i will gladly uh, send back what my perception of your goals would of your zones would be and then you can compare that so please don't just trust those blindly now the original question zone 2.1 versus zone 2.9 when the zones are properly Um, determined of course in a in a laboratory lactate threshold step test on on a um, treadmill with blood is the best laboratory of course like i was saying earlier Um, then the middle of your zone is the best place to be you have a range in there 0.1 to 0.9 for uphills and downhills for hot days and cold days four rollers and stuff like that it's a range because your your training environment is not 100 controlled and flat in the same now if it is with regards to a treadmill run absolutely keep it right there smack dab in the middle and you should be able to over a few weeks get pretty proficient at keeping it within a beat or two while you're running a lot of my beginner athletes i have them in order to get more familiar with heart rate, I have them for weeks, three, four, five weeks, um, just start with a 20-minute warm-up and where their heart rate settles after that 15 to 20 minutes, that's where I have them hold their heart rate within two to three beats for the remainder of the workout. And if that was too easy, they do it a week later at a little bit stronger warm-up. If it was too hard, they warm up a little bit easier. And over time, they just get a way better understanding of perceived effort versus heart rate. So yes, middle of the zone is always the goal. Um, if you're at the top of the zone creeping into the next one, you know, there you're back into the gray area and we don't want that. And finally today, not an email received, but um, a, a log update that I read. And it's something that I always want to address. And that is that training and our daily connection to ourself and our desired outcome with the training should not be a cause of stress. And I think it is important that we re-examine our goals and our work that interplay between the two if our training is a stressor in our day. Now, of course, there's days where the schedule just gets away from us, work or family requirements and commitments got in the way and we're really anxious to get in our workouts still. Those are days absolutely happen. But if it's a daily cause, if the majority of your workouts or your anxiety to get them in is a stressor that makes the rest of your day lesser quality, then we need to examine your routines and your schedule and what the desired outcome of your goals are. And what that means is what I talked about earlier, work and goal balance. If the goals that you cre- you set for yourself, whether fitness or event-based, are a little bit beyond your reach, beyond your reality currently not your potential not your ability but your current reality due to life and career and work then that daily stress will come up because you know it's already a reach to achieve that goal and therefore that reach makes the priority of the daily workout um a little bit higher because you know, you must at least get this in, in order to come close to achieving that goal that's already almost a little bit unrealistic. And so that's where with a coach, we sit down or we sit down, we don't sit down, we have a conversation, an email or a phone conversation or whatever with I might need to change my goals. And that's not necessarily the goal itself of the event, but just your expectations of the outcome of that event, right? Expectations and reality create our daily happiness. And if we lower those expectations of the outcome, then our happiness in the daily process, the daily reality, will go up. Right? doesn't mean that I don't want you training or I don't want you reconnecting with your best self every day and so forth. But if it's a stressor, then the, the adaptation of that training stimulus is not going to happen anyway because you're not recovering properly. You're back into a stress environment. The The workout itself didn't have the impact and the stress and the, uh, the focus it needed to have anyway because you either feel guilty that you're training or... You're stressed that your training's not working out as well as you want it to, which then creates more stress. Anyway, you get the point. We want that balance. And that's a very um, difficult thing to let go of in many time, many cases, because we're so hardwired in our culture and our surroundings to achieve for great things, for proud things, for things that feel glorious. And to let go of those, um and to modify those and to back off of those is is hard to do. But I will say for all of you, whether that's a fitness goal or an, uh, an event goal, it will feel better at least having done the event. It will feel better at least being partially towards your fitness goal than a negative grind, Towards that, and not doing the event at all because you're burnt out, or you are injured, or unmotivated, and done, or um, fall back into your old habits if you are if you let go of the fitness goal as well. So continue to. Have that inner dialogue. And if it's too much, expectations, reality, work with regards to goals, work not being work as in your career, work being the training needed towards your goals. That delicate balance needs to strike a place where training and the process, as we talked about today, um, is something that you connect with your best self, not um, with a negative self that causes stress. And so this this, uh, blog had in it. Um, I'm headed to blah, blah, blah. And will have a long think about where I'm at with my training. If a race slash event will only add stress to my life, feeling at the moment, bit a bit overwhelmed, like I'm not doing anything well. When I read a log like that, It's why I'm bringing it up here. Not sure if this person listens to my podcast, but it's a valuable share for all of you. That is, watch your stress levels and watch. If you're writing that in your training log, I get worried that this is a negative outcome, the training and not a positive one. That the log doesn't say, I feel so much better after working out and ready to tackle my daily stresses better better prepared um, have a clearer head to do that Um, that's what the log should say not i'm going to have to take a long think about where i'm at with my training and if an event will only add stress to my life and feeling overwhelmed we don't want that so that's why i brought that up in here today